1: This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, produce online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
3: Murder in Illinois is a production of iHeartRadio. Kimberly Ellen Phillips had an undeniable and immediate impact on the young Chris Vaughn strikingly beautiful and two years older, she likely seemed much more sophisticated and mature to the teenage Vaughn, who was just out of high school when they met. Kimberly was raised in St. Charles, Missouri, the daughter of Dell, a lawyer, and Susan, a teacher. In high school, she enjoyed sports, especially volleyball. One of three daughters, Kimberly was also an identical twin. It was that identical twin, Jennifer, who would deliver a victim impact statement after Christopher was convicted of killing his three children and Kimberly, which means Vaughn would face a woman who shared the features of the wife he was sentenced to life for having murdered.
2: He had a lot of friends before he met Kimberly. Once he met Kimberly, she kind of got in between him and any friends or uh but she called hard, sad cases that Chris just wanted to take home and help him fix their problems. She would get rid of them somehow. I am not sure how, but she would make sure that Chris distanced himself between him and his friends.
3: According to his family, when Chris and Kimberly first started dating, she consumed his world. His grades declined, and after she became pregnant, he dropped out of college. But outwardly, he seemed happy. And as a couple, they appeared happy, at least initially. I'm Lauren Bright Pacheco, and this is Murder in Illinois. Like many marriages and relationships, Christopher and Kimberly Vaughn's union seemed relatively unremarkable, but people close to them, Chris's parents in particular, could see that underneath outward appearances, there was a complicated core, likely rooted in their very different upbringings. Most of what we understand about Chris and Kimberly's relationship – particularly in regards to Kim and her family's behavior and attitudes towards Chris, comes from his family, but we tried to represent their relationship and marriage based on the information we were able to obtain. Again, we reached out to Kimberly's family multiple times, and to date, they've declined to participate. While those close to Chris were taken aback by the way Chris entered his marriage, they weren't surprised by his reaction to the situation. Here is his aunt Rose, Gail's younger sister.
4: No, I was more shocked that um, he called me and told me that he was going to have a baby.
3: Talking about Chris, especially as a father, remains very emotional for Rose.
4: He actually called and told me first. And I figured he would do the, the right thing, and he did. So, no, I was not shocked about him getting married.
3: As we've mentioned, there had already been a number of awkward interactions between the two families, most notably a few not-too-successful dinners. But it was these early interactions that started to give Gail and Pierre a glimpse into what Kim's family was like, and in particular, how they viewed Chris's family. Here's Gail.
2: Oh, the first first time I felt really like something was wrong with her family uh, in liking us was when I had invited them over for dinner just, just to get to meet them because we didn't really know these people. And this was after uh, the announcement that Chris and Kim were going to be married and I invited her mom and dad over to our house and have dinner. And we grilled some chicken and she didn't really touch anything on her plate and she just didn't really talk to us. And afterwards, I thought it was a complete failure. I I had gone in to this dinner to try to figure out her family, period. You know, get to know somebody because these are gonna be our family also. But she made it quite clear that we were not going to be her family. And they left and went home. And they didn't uh, come back. We would offer them to come over and, you know, have dinner or just sit and talk. And she said no.
3: Even at the wedding, there was little warmth between the two families. Each side mostly kept to themselves. Here again is Gail's sister, Rose.
4: Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, everybody... um Tried to stay distant. Niceties was about all there was. There wasn't any overly outgoingness. It, it was very awkward.
3: But by most accounts, it was still a pleasant event, although Kimberly had relayed some unpleasant issues regarding the planning.
2: Oh, the wedding was beautiful. Leading up to the wedding, though, for some reason, her mom didn't like any of the choices and it it looked like it was going to be more Kim's mom's wedding than Kimberly's wedding and I tried to go with Kimberly to get her stuff that they wished me to get for them like the flowers you know and uh, the day before the wedding or soon before the wedding her mom went to the florist and changed everything so it was quite a, a tug of war And I tried really hard not to make waves, but it it was interesting.
3: Gail says that dysfunctional dynamic continued after the couple exchanged vows.
2: When we were doing the, the pictures after the wedding, Susan, that's Kim's mom's name, got very upset with, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but her mom, Susan's mom, kind of uh, hollered at her and told her to straighten out and act right, right there in church. And it was uh, interesting, too.
3: Another memory from the wedding day stands out for the Bonds, and it involves a comment that Susan Phillips apparently made to Pierre's mother during the reception at the Phillips home.
2: Susan said something to my mother-in-law, which my mother-in-law never told me what she said, but my mother-in-law went home with us because that's where she was staying for the wedding, and they left with something that had been said between her and Susan.
3: That comment was apparently so offensive that Gail's mother-in-law not only refused to repeat it, but insisted on leaving the Phillips home
2: immediately. We did find out from her, my mom-in-law, that Susan had told her something or said something to her that just hurt her very badly. She did not want to stay there, so we took her home, and we never found out what that was.
3: Pierre's mother chose to take that comment with her to her grave. Still, the Vaughns contend they continuously tried to forge a good relationship with Kim's family.
2: The Phillips invited us for dinner, and they told us to be there at 6.30. And she says, oh, take the whole family. Well, Kim told us. I didn't talk to Susan. But Kim invited us over to her mom's house and Dad's house to have dinner. It's going to be um, a Chinese restaurant type dinner, and we were supposed to bring our our other two sons, so it was a, a family thing. So it, it, that dinner was again interesting. Uh, Chris and Kim tried to keep the the conversation going, and and otherwise it would just just fall. Susan just. It was either her way or the highway. And she asked us about, you know, hunting. And and that's just the way our families have grown up through the generations of, of going out and shooting a deer or, you know, a rabbit or a squirrel and bringing them home and making them a dinner. She pointed out quite a few times through this dinner that um, we were not educated. So we really didn't have, (laughs) she didn't want to take our word for anything because we did not have the paper pedigree that she thought we were supposed to have.
3: Their firstborn, Abigail, came soon after Chris and Kimberly were married. And not long after, Kimberly was pregnant again with the couple's second daughter, Cassandra.
2: Kim's mom told her that if you were breastfeeding, you can't get pregnant. Well, it uh, doesn't exactly shine true.
3: This is when Christopher decided to have a house built and use this as an opportunity to make an effort to keep the balance between the two families. He gave a lot of consideration to the location.
2: Chris had done a lot of surveying and checking, and they were exactly the same amount mileage-wise between the two family homes. So he was directly in the middle. Not even a quarter mile, more or less, but exactly so many miles between two families.
3: And then a few years after that, Kim and Chris had their third child, a son, Blake.
2: So Sandy was maybe 14 months, 13 months younger than Abby. And then there was a little break there. And then about five years later, there was Blake.
3: Interesting. So it's almost like the same age difference between your boys.
2: Yeah, that that did hit me when when we had our little grandson. I go, wow, this is amazing. You guys are following in our footsteps. Needless to say, her parents were not happy about that.
3: (laughs) And with Chris and Kim living in their own house, separate from either of the families, Gail and Pierre were able to spend a lot more time with their grandkids.
2: They were great. Chris made sure we would get to see them. You know, like every other weekend or something, or they didn't just stop in. We always seemed to have to make an appointment to get to see them. But when we had them, it was fantastic. They were smart little kids. They didn't seem to worry about mom and dad going out the door. We just had a wonderful time. We we took them to parks. We we played in our yard. I had a big house, so we played, you know, hide and seek, and we did crafty things um, for Mardi Gras. We we painted masks of paper plates, and and we we just had a fantastic time.
3: Here they are in home video, dyeing Easter eggs the year before the tragedy.
5: Here, um, blue. Oh wait, no, green. green. Can you took my blue
4: out.
5: There's no yellow one here? No more. There's oh. a yellow one. I don't know. It all.
3: Chris and Pierre are seated at opposite ends of the table. Abby and Cassandra on one side, while Blake holds down the other, stretching over the center of the table to dip his egg as he negotiates for access to the colors. All involved are smiling and engaged. As usual, Gail is behind the camera. Blake turns and waves to her with a goofy grin. I asked Gail to share what she remembers about each of the kids. Even with the pain that accompanies her recollections, you hear her grandmotherly pride and love.
2: Well, Abigail had her mom's complexion. She was a beautiful peaches and cream type complexion with beautiful blue eyes. And she had an intellect that was unbelievable. She acted a lot like her mom. But she was more giving and loving. I mean, she hugged and and, and stuff. Um, and then there was Sandy. She was a little brunette with sparkly green eyes. And we used to call her Sander, the commander, because she would tell everybody, we're going to have a play and you're going to be Pluto and you're going to be the star and, you know, things like this. She had a mind of her own. So she was our little stubborn one. But she, I mean, she would walk into a room and, and everybody would light up. She, she just had a way about her. And then there was Blake. Blake was only eight when he left. But he was also a very smart little boy, very intelligent. He was reading books three or four years above his grade level and understanding them. And he, he would retain knowledge. And he, he was fantastic with baseball. I mean, he could give you the stats of any, any player on the Cardinals team, and he was only eight. It was remarkable. For most
3: accounts, Christopher loved his children and was an excellent father. Gail shared many photos and home videos of her son interacting with his children, like this one, three years before their deaths. Chris is seated as the kids play the game Hangman with their grandparents outdoors. Cassandra is running the game on a large drawing pad as Abby sits alongside. Blake pops up occasionally from his father's lap, where he quickly returns to snuggle. Chris welcomes him each time with a smile and a pat once the little boy hops back onto his lap. Again, we want to acknowledge that these memories are from Chris's own family, not Kimberly's. But there is nothing to suggest Christopher would have been capable of harming his children. Here's his Aunt Rose.
4: He was always happy. I mean, he was always goofy. Um, The pictures that I sent you.
3: The photos Rose is referencing covered the lifetime relationship the two shared. While she's Gail's younger sister, there's a 15-year age gap between the two, which meant Rose grew up closer in age to Christopher and more like his cousin than aunt. The photographs she shared show Chris through the years as a toddler, boy, teen, and young father. They also reflect the Vaughn family's deep enthusiasm for outdoor sports, camping, and the wilderness on a multi-generational extended family level. Throughout the range of time the photos represent, Chris is more often than not wearing a broad happy smile, especially in the photos that show him as a father.
4: He's always got a goofy smile on. He's always just the center of attention, having fun. Just a down-to-earth fun.
3: In one particular photo, he's standing on the beach, hoisting Abby, then a bouncy infant, up towards the camera with one arm as he lifts the brim of her sunbonnet back with his other hand, revealing the baby's beautiful, Gerber like features. Kim is standing in the background, arms akimbo. All three are smiling widely.
4: They were at our house and. Winfield. And my husband and I are like, well, let's go take him to Lake Michigan. Um, Let's see what the, how the baby reacts with the water. Because when I had mine, whenever her feet hit the water, she would jump up like a little, little jumping bean. And so everybody was on board with it. So we went up to Lake Michigan, Kim and Chris and Abby and my husband and I, and that's exactly what she did. He tried to put her little feet in the water and she jumped right back up and she would laugh and laugh and laugh. It was just, it was just a great day. It was warm. It was beautiful.
3: Rose sent many other photos of Chris interacting with his children, and they all reflect an engaged, doting father.
4: Just love and warmth and amusement. He was highly amused by the antics of his children, sometimes not remembering that he was once like that and did the very same goofy thing. Um, he just, he looked at them like these incredible little creatures. Just, just wonderful.
3: Chris's youngest brother, Adam, also recalls his impression of Chris as a father.
4: He was amazing.
6: I still find myself applying some of the things that I observed him doing uh, with his kids, I I find myself uh, attempting to do with mine. Uh, One of the things that definitely stood out for me is just how easily he could communicate to children. I mean, obviously I have four children of my own now, and, and I am no stranger to the, the difficulties of, of parenting. So it, it even puts it more in, into context on how he could uh, approach them on their level. Uh, he would actually make the effort to to physically, you know, kneel or or sit uh, to where he was, you know, eye level with them and talk with them. And it was just really amazing to see how how just that change in altitude. Uh, really changed the child's demeanor and, and allowed them to uh, be a little bit more communicative with him.
3: By the time he was 25, Christopher Vaughn was a father of three. While Kimberly and Christopher seemed to be adjusting well to the responsibilities of a growing family, their relationship had become strained. Various insecurities plagued them and started to take root. And the pressure from Kim's family wasn't making it any easier, according to Gail and Pierre Vaughn.
2: They both had a problem with their education or insecurities, yes. Um, I think Kim figured she would be better respected in her own family, her side of the family, if she got this degree. So many times we heard them make comments on things and the family as a whole would not listen to Kimberly because she didn't know what she was talking about, because she didn't have the degrees to go with the conversation.
3: College degrees, or lack thereof, obviously appears to have been a huge sticking point with both families. We
2: were just tolerated because.
8: Because like we said, they all had college degrees. And according to them, if you had a college degree, you were smarter than everybody else. And it didn't matter what your degree was in or not. And, you know, her mom, her college degree was in language, so she taught German in school. Her dad was a lawyer, but he was a JAG lawyer in the Army or military, and then when he came out, he was an ambulance chaser. You know, if somebody fell and broke their leg and you wanted to sue somebody, he was your guy.
3: Again, this is the Vaughn's perception, but it seems to be one that's confirmed by multiple members and generations of their family— Numerous instances in front of different members of the Vaughn family that perceived negative judgment to the point of insult, and it apparently extended to Kimberly.
8: According to what I understand, when the family got together for a holiday or anything like that, they would exclude Kimberly from their conversations because she wasn't smart enough because she didn't have a college degree.
3: And from the Vaughn's perspective, Kim's insecurity wasn't limited to her lack of a college education. They felt the years of her mother's controlling influence had shaped Kim into someone who apparently wanted attention, even at the expense of her children.
2: She was almost jealous about their firstborn daughter, Abigail, because Chris, he was just so proud of her, and he wanted to take her, you know, in a stroller in the mall. And, And Kim got really upset, and she wouldn't let him do that.
8: Even though everybody saw the happy, bubbly, friendly side of Kimberly, she was a lot like her mother, more than anybody knows, that there was a dark, mean side. Um, Even the kids called her a monster mommy. Right. When nobody else was around, that dark side would come out.
3: The Vaughns contend. Kim's children were subject to a lot of her outbursts, leading to the nickname they would sometimes use, Monster Mommy, to describe her when she was angry.
2: I actually got to witness one of her Monster Mommy episodes at Christmas before this happened. It was crazy because it basically happened because Abigail decided she didn't want to take a shower. Kimberly said, yes, you must take a shower. Well, she's an a age, yeah. Okay, mom's got to tell their daughters what to do. Okay, fine. But she took it to a hair pulling, abusive, screaming, rustling type match with her daughter, Abigail. And this was happening upstairs in my house where the kids were staying at that point. They were visiting. And, and I went up the stairs and Sandy and Blake came and says, Monster Mommy doesn't want to talk to anybody else. You've got to stay away from her or she'll hurt you too. And they took my hands and we went downstairs. I let the episode happen upstairs, and I feel guilty about that now. That I didn't step in.
3: Stressed with the friction between the two families, Kim and Chris's relationship started to struggle. But Chris was still on the hunt for better and better jobs to take care of his family. And eventually, he found an opportunity in Washington and used it to make things better. Here's Gail.
2: Well, it did hinge on Chris's career. Wherever he had the best job is where he went. He had a job offer on the coast up there and he took it. It made more money. He could get a bigger house and, and get Kim the vehicle she wanted. And, Kids would be happy and well
5: taken care of. And he went wherever the job took him. He did. But also, I think at the time, they thought if they got away from Mm. both of us, they'd have a better chance of keeping their marriage together. He originally started out working for a big company as a, a forensic computer guy. But then he started his own company called Stonebridge, Stonebridge. yes, which was to name of the street they lived on.
2: When
3: Chris got to Washington, he was doing computer and tech work for multiple clients as a contractor for a company that served other tech companies. Eventually, he took his skill set and branched out on his own, which leads up to Stonebridge Consulting. Here again is private investigator Bill Clutter, who's been involved with Chris's case since 2007.
7: Chris had his own private detective agency at Stonebridge Investigations. He was based in Bellevue, Washington, and he really developed a specialty in computer forensics and he was remarkably self-taught.
3: Again, Clutter was on Vaughn's initial defense team and is one of the people who knows Chris's story perhaps better than anyone.
7: Yeah, you know, I recall in my conversations with Chris that you know he was charging $250 an hour as a private investigator to do computer forensics, which is a pretty fee. I mean.
3: In fact, Chris had catapulted himself into a six-figure salary well before he turned 30. Pierre Vaughn slowly came around to understanding that his son was forging his future in a field that was the future.
5: Absolutely. And I agreed with him because, I mean, I'm not a tech person, but just what I saw in the tech industry. It was just exploding with new things and technology and things were fastly changing. The Phillips family could not understand why a kid without college could advance this fast, this far and make this kind of money without a college degree because they didn't understand the computer industry. And that's where Chris made his money. He went out and when he went to Washington, he worked for companies like Boeing and, and Microsoft, and he worked for colleges that needed computer forensics and security, and he was a top guy in the field.
3: By the early 2000s, Chris seemed pretty happy, and his family was enjoying a more affluent life than they'd had in Missouri. Chris's love of the wilderness was also well-served in that part of the country. Here's Bill Clutter.
7: Being in Washington, they had easy access to the outdoors and nature, and that's really the environment that they seem to thrive in.
3: And Chris shared his adoration of all things outdoors with his growing children.
5: Definitely on the weekends, when Chris had free time, he would take kids hiking through the
2: the many parks they had up. They had
5: parks them. and forests they had because. Out there, they had the great big redwoods or cedars or whatever they are Mm -hmm. that are like, you know, 10 foot around, humongous trees and stuff like that.
3: Chris's career also afforded Kimberly the opportunity to finally pursue an online college degree. With Chris now working for himself, the potential was there to expand his company and possibly include her as part of the business.
5: When they moved to... Washington State. That's when she decided to join the Phoenix educational program. She wanted to get a degree in criminology criminology so that she could help Chris be a private investigator.
3: Chris earned an excellent working reputation in Washington and an impressive array of clients and industry contacts. Soon, recruiters were reaching out with offers. Here's Bill Clutter again.
7: Through his networking in uh, the state of Washington, he landed an interview with a company called Navigant. The job was based in Chicago, but it's a major company that provides uh, litigation support to attorneys and law firms. And Chris was given a job as a computer forensic specialist with that company. It resulted in the family moving from the state of Washington to Oswego, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. Yeah, I mean it was. It was a job that was paying almost 200000 a year. Incredible salary and, and an opportunity for Chris.
3: Plus bonuses, I believe.
7: Yeah, yeah.
3: So at the time of the murders, Chris was probably at the height of his professional career.
7: Oh, he was totally at the height of his professional career. In fact, the company had agreed to invest in a a forensics lab that Chris would run.
3: Chris's parents were also elated to have him so much closer to them in Missouri.
2: (laughs) I was super happy because they would be within driving distance to visit. I was so excited.
3: And they visited early on after the move, when Chris and Kim were still living in an apartment while their house was being built.
2: It was all Kim. Kim was telling us how she was going to get the house built and and how she wanted it to look. Eventually, it did turn out that way, but it was very, very expensive.
3: And it wasn't what Chris had hoped for.
2: Actually, Chris wanted to look for a farmhouse that he could rework, rebuild, or upgrade with a little bit of property on it. And they ended up not doing it and going with a builder in a
5: subdivision. Kim wanted a big fancy house with, you know, to show off to all the neighbors and this, that, the other thing. Money and status and so on and so forth.
3: And the happiness Chris had found in Washington with his old business, despite his current success, started to fade. He was no longer working for himself and he no longer had an easy commute or access to the outdoors and wilderness that Washington had offered.
8: When he was in the house, he actually had to get up in the morning, drive to the train, and be on the train by a certain time early, because otherwise if he tried to get on it later, it was full and he couldn't he wouldn't make the work on time. So he got up early, got to the train, took the train in, went to work and got off work and come back, got in the Jeep and kind of home, and then had to make supper and stuff. The only interaction Chris really had was is that Blake was in Scouts, and Chris would take him to Scouts because Kimberly didn't want anything to do with with the Scouts part of it.
3: In fairness, Kimberly did serve at certain times as a Brownian Girl Scout leader for her daughters. But to his family, Chris seemed more isolated as his time in Illinois continued. They perceived his happiness to be fading as his dissatisfaction increased and they worried about his marriage. Here's Gail Vaughn.
2: We noticed Chris turning more into a loner. He would be in the family, but he wouldn't really laugh and be as happy. And we just figured it was marital problems or, you know, something at work. Just before... This all happened just before we went on our Jeep outing in April. He was here with his brother and his dad, and he just sat at the back of the boat and smoked his pipe. He loved being outside, but he was always in thought. It was sad.
3: And Pierre believes there was a troubling reason why marriage troubles would have weighed heavily on Chris.
8: Chris was threatened by Kimberly's parents. Because he was a lawyer, he said, if you ever mistreat my daughter or if you ever divorce my daughter or anything like that, you'll regret it for the rest of your life because there's so many laws that we can go after you for that you'd have to work 10 jobs just to pay for it.
3: Again, we cannot confirm this threat was made, but the couple did begin to lead separate lives under the same roof. Chris would often have to travel for his job with Navigant. It wouldn't come out until after the murders. But at some point, Bond went to Mexico and wound up spending the night with some women he'd met there. And he'd also begun to frequent strip clubs, but not for the reasons you might think. Here's his mother, Gail.
2: I wasn't as surprised about the strip club thing as I was when he had gone to Mexico and found comfort
8: there the strip club thing was a kind of a last-ditch effort or something but what amazes me is when it came out in the trial is that when they had the gal from the strip club there uh, she just said all all he did was talk they did not have any kind of relationship or did not have any interaction with them other than just sit and talk for hours they would just sit and talk
9: For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.
3: Chris's visits to Mexico, and later the strip clubs, would wind up weighing heavily against him at his trial. But we'll come back to that. And then came the day that would change everything. Chris and Kimberly's anniversary was coming up, and perhaps as a final, desperate attempt to help salvage their marriage, he made plans to visit Missouri. Missouri. On Sunday,
2: June 2nd, Chris left me a message on our answering machine. He had planned to surprise Kim with an anniversary trip to Herman. He wanted to go to the bed and breakfast that they had originally went to for their honeymoon. He uh, planned to drop the children off with us late Friday night, June 15th. And I'm not sure if Chris and Kim would stay the night at our house and continue on the next day, but we never found out.
3: They were planning multiple visits, both the weekend getaway Chris was planning to surprise Kim with for their anniversary and also a trip around July 4th for the kids to stay with their grandparents.
2: June 4th, Pierre left a message on Chris's cell phone to call back regarding the 16th and 17th of June. June 5th, Chris called me back. I suggested an alternative plan to them driving all the way up I had said I would uh, drive up Friday afternoon, the 15th, along with my sister, Nancy, and watch the kids at their home instead of them coming to our house.
3: But Chris told Gail he'd get back to her on that idea. Somewhere in the middle of their planning, about a week before the trip, Gail got an unusual out-of-character call from Kim. Kim had emailed Gail about the July trip, and Gail had not yet responded, and Kim was triggered on the
2: 6th, Kimberly called and she just started out very loud and she hollered at me for not answering her email on the week we were to have the kids. She didn't introduce herself. She just started loudly speaking, hollering over the phone after I picked up the phone and said hello. I had caller ID so I knew it was Kim. So I just kind of like held the phone away from my ear as she vented. After about... I stay a good two or three minutes. Her voice pitch went down and we continued talking and she calmed down the entire conversation and the conversation ended nicely. So I'm not sure why she was all ramped up when she began the call, but by the end of the call, it was fine. She was just normally talking on the phone. To Gail,
3: this sort of mood swing phone call seemed unusual for Kim. There had been other Monster Mommy episodes but this one was something different.
2: It was way out of character. Usually Kim would call and say, hey, this is Kimberly. And I would say, well, hello there, this is Kimberly. You know, And we would start our conversation. But this one, you no, know, I picked up the phone and she just started, I mean, there was a screaming lady on the other side of that phone.
3: Chris would reach out in an attempt to smooth things over as he worked with the kids to keep the anniversary trip a surprise for Kim.
2: So on June 7th, I think, Chris called, and he said the idea of I and Nancy coming up to watch the children was a go, because he said um, there was going to be a parade, and Blake was supposed to be in the parade with his scout group, Cub Scouts, and I think Abby was going to be in there with her soccer team, and all the kids had something to do, and they really didn't want to come up to our house. They wanted to stay at their house so they could go on this parade, Uh, you know, so he says, yeah, that sounds good. He wanted us to be there Friday around 2, 2 2.30ish, so that he and Kim could leave soon after, making it to Herman, Missouri, around between 10 and 11 that night.
3: We were able to track down the proprietor of the Missouri Bed and Breakfast Chris claimed he called for reservations for June 16th and 17th of 2007 to celebrate the couple's wedding anniversary. While she's asked that we do not use her name, 14 years later, she confirms the booking and what Chris said on that call.
5: Did I have a room? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, we stayed with you before on our anniversary. We wanted to stay again. I said, oh, that'd be wonderful. So I just took down the information, and that was the end of it.
3: Do you remember anything in particular about the conversation,
5: he just seemed—I um, didn't notice anything out of the ordinary, so he seemed uh, pleasant. You know.
3: Do you remember your thoughts when you realized that it was the same Chris Vaughn?
7: I know. Oh, thank God he didn't show up and shoot her here.
3: The day before Gail was supposed to make that drive up to see the kids with her sister, she got an unexpected phone call.
2: On. Thursday, June 14th. Yeah. At 1105, I was contacted by a reporter from the Chicago Sun-Times. She introduced herself and asked me if I was Christopher's mother. She continued to ask questions as she was doing a write-up on them. I asked her where this information was to be used. That's when she told me of the terrible accident that had happened that morning. Then she told me that there were four dead, and one was taken to the hospital with non-life-threatening wounds. At this point, I told her I needed to talk to my family, and I hung up from her.
3: After this day, this moment, Chris's life and the lives of his and Kim's family were forever changed. Chris was injured. His three children were dead. His wife, Kimberly, was dead, all four from gunshot wounds. What happened that day, 14 years ago, remains an unfathomable mystery to many, including, it would seem, the man serving life for having been convicted of taking four. I started communicating with a lone survivor, Christopher Vaughn, more than a year ago. Here's an excerpt from the very first letter, one of many, I've received from Christopher Vaughn, a man now identified by a five-digit prisoner number. Quote, I must let you know I am as hopelessly confused now as I was then, if not more so. Having spent a considerable amount of time over the years in speculation, I cannot say if I am closer to the truth or further from it, unquote. But like many things you'll soon learn, when it comes to the Vaughn family murders, nothing is as it seems. On the next Murder in Illinois... The unthinkable becomes reality.
6: The one that the most vividly burned its image into my my memory uh, was an aerial shot. You could see Kimberly's form lying over in the front
2: seat. My sister came up from downstairs. And she says, what, "What are you doing, I'm sitting on the floor?" And I says, "My family's been killed."
3: And Christopher Vaughn goes from grieving father to suspect.
5: We were met by reporters. They. Right? We wanted to know why Chris killed his family
3: Murder in Illinois is a production of iHeartRadio Executive producers are Lauren Bright Pacheco and Taylor Shacoin, Written by Lauren Bright Pacheco and Matthew Riddle Story editing by Matthew Riddle Editing and sound design by Evan Tyre and Taylor Shacoin, Featuring music by Cicada Rhythm With new compositions engineered and mixed by Evan Tyre and Taylor Shacoin. Thank you more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get the stories that matter to you.
9: Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee.
0: Void, prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. I'm late, I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from undercover tourists. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from undercover Tourist, an authorized seller and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with undercover Tourist now and save UndercoverTourist.com